0: Welcome to the Barry Drew Podcast, where we talk all things mindset, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay Alwina, you're very welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. So um, just maybe to let the the listeners know um, who you are and... uh, some of the things that you do, would you mind just uh, inter- uh, giving a short introduction just about you and, and your work?
1: Yeah, I suppose it, um, it all started when I trained as a PE teacher. So I've always been interested in, in um, you know, sports and PE. But uh, I ended up uh, having an accident and a car accident and broke my neck and back. And so I trained to tr- teach 11 to 18 year olds. But, but because of, and teach PE, but because of the car accident, I ended up teaching five to 11-year-olds, and I taught for 23 years, um, but uh, I never really tra- trained to, to teach reading or young children, so, you know, like most of us, we do what we, we're good at, so I was good at teaching PE, so what I used to do was teach a lot of but uh, nearly every single day, I would do PE with the class, and um, you know, and the children did 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 well with me, considering I hadn't had that specific training for teaching early years. And then sixteen years on, I ended up in a school um, that was had five parallel classes, and and the head teacher said to me, "What is it that you What is it that you do?" that helps children she said there were two things that she noticed because she was comparing them that help children your the, the children always read really well and they're confident and so i thought what is it that i do because I, I i don't spend a lot of time teaching them to read i'm not actually that good and then i said well i do a lot of pe <laughs> and um And is it is it that is is like physical literacy does it have any impact on on literacy. So that was one aspect, so I had got this question asked. Uh, Another aspect was my own son was very very intelligent but moved around a lot was always getting in trouble didn't seem to achieve his full potential the report said could do better doesn't concentrate uh you know blah 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 so i was trying to work out what was going in with him on with him as well why wasn't he because i knew he was really really bright and at the same time, at that time, I had another boy in my class called Mosin And Mohsin was a really intelligent boy, really intelligent, but he couldn't hold a pencil properly. So he wrote really lightly and it took him a long time to write. And he was really intelligent. And so I thought, my God, this boy can't put down on paper what, what is in his head. And I looked at his records and there was a great big thick file. And that thick file said that he had loads of retained primitive reflexes. And I remember looking at this thick file and at the end of it saying, and what am I supposed to do? What should I do to help him? Because it was the diagnosis was there, but there was no help. So I had these three things happening parallel. But it was my son who spurred me on, because I was um, on a kinesiology course, and he was fifteen, and he on on that day I was on that course, I happened to be sitting next to a lady who was who really knew about primitive reflexes and was working with them. and he's he's he got his foot got run over by a bus that day. And at that point, I realized that this agitation, this lack of concentration, this lack of attention wasn't just about academic things, but actually it was a life thing. You know, he could have something terrible could have happened to him. And I thought, so anyway, what happened was I had a conversation with her and she said, I know exactly what's wrong with him. It's his primitive reflexes. And so I ended up going to her. And she addressed his reflexes. And within three months, he was like a different boy. Like, honestly, the, the change was immense. Along with that, she also checked auditory processing uh, and how the frequencies that he could hear. And she, she said to me, if you, he's, he, there, there are some frequencies he can't hear that are high frequencies, and he will be prone to depression if you don't add this frequency. And I thought, oh my God, how is that possible? But then she showed me other charts where because of the different frequencies that people can't hear, she said, you can chart and see what kind of illnesses they can have. So I was really interested. So anyway, with all of these things that come, you know, coming together at the same time, I ended up thinking, what is it that I do? Is it is it addressing the physical literacy? Of obviously addressing primitive reflexes Addresses physical literacy, is it that and I ended up doing PhD research to see if movement addressing primitive reflexes and um, and physical literacy and sound therapy addressing auditory processing would help a child to learn. (laughs) (laughs) I I was led to it, I was led to it, I was never planned it.
0: Brilliant and just just in terms of. um just in case some people don't know, first of all, what physical literacy is, what uh, primitive reflexes are. Could you just give a little bit of a brief explanation? Yeah, so (laughs) physical
1: literacy is your ability to move your body, okay? Makes sense, but actually when you think about it, it's like we are this energy being or this brain in this body in a shell it's like a car it's how you're able to drive your body and whether you have complete control of it and and you can you can do a certain sequence and simple things like just moving your arm then your leg your leg your arm simple things but to be able to sequence your body and if you're not able to control your your physical literacy if your physical literacy is poor if you're not able to Uh, do these simple things that you should be able to do, then that translates into abstract sequencing. So, for instance, the ability to learn times table is linked in with the ability to sequence, because the timetable is just a sequence, isn't it? So if you can sequence your body concretely, that has an impact on the ability to abstractly sequence so that's physical literacy is how comfortable you're in your body. And it's very much linked in with a balance because we as humans are the only animal that are upright. And so we're constantly fighting uh, gravity. So if our balance is poor because our physical literacy is poor, then just we're, we're upright and we don't feel safe. We don't, we don't feel safe at all. And so we lack that confidence in ourselves and our ability to move around. And how I saw that was many years later after the research, um, uh, uh, my second husband had a a stroke and and he had a stroke around the cerebellum area. And one of the things that he lost was his sense of balance. And he was a confident man. And he suddenly became really uh, like timid. And every time he stood up, it was like he was in fear. And it was interesting when we sorted out the balance again, the confidence returned. So it was so interesting. So the ability to balance is part of physical literacy and it impacts in ways that you have no idea. Um, For example, I had an 11 year old, I was teaching an 11 year old who used to be afraid of coming across a road bridge. Well, a road bridge is, you know, stable
0: yeah
1: and his father had to take bring him across the bridge and I thought to myself wow because he's going to go to high school and imagine if his father's having to walk into school so all I did with him was teach him to do jumps of little uh, blocks of you know in the in the in PE and what I was doing was addressing his balance while he was doing PE and once he got confident he was able to walk across the bridge. So basically, there was an innate part of him that thought, oh, this is not safe for me because my balance is poor. So that's physical literacy. But physical literacy is affected by primitive reflexes. Primitive reflexes are there from the beginning, from zero to about one, one and a half, to make sure we survive. So they're like um, angels in the early years because they're helpers. But if they're not if they're not integrated they're like rascals so <laughs> if i can give you one example the moral reflex moral reflex is there at the time of birth should integrate very quickly because when when the baby comes through the nature mother nature doesn't want baby to be all sloppy and to cut taking long deep breaths wants the baby alert to see here and take short breaths so that the breathing mechanism kicks in very quickly. So mother nature is making sure that this baby comes out, it's going to breathe, which is brilliant. And then everything, and that reflex is integrated through through certain specific movements that all children do. But if that's not, that movement isn't allowed, that reflex doesn't get integrated. Now this child will be uh, in high alert, you know, uh, everything will be six, like always, always in this um, fight and flight system, which means that he can hear too much, he can see too much, you can feel too much, and everything is just going, up. and he can't focus, because if you're in fight and flight, the, the eyes work on a peripheral way, so they want to they keep scanning to see, is everything okay, is everything okay, and a te- what does a teacher always say, look at me, focus. But the eyes are actually saying, no, 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 because I need to make sure everything around me is okay. If he, if he hears a, a pencil drop behind him, he'll be like looking at the pencil, making sure it's not an attack, by which time he's lost the, the, the thread of what the teacher is saying. And now he's like, you know, behind. So these reflexes are key to survival. And if they're not integrated, they can cause huge, I mean, and there's loads of reflexes
0: yeah yeah quite a comprehensive explanation
1: yeah
0: <laughs> well but it's there's a lot in it well,
1: do you know it's comprehensive and it affects yeah. every single part
0: yeah and it, even and from addressing it uh, well from the research you've done and uh, that you you have that you you have to integrate that with your your own son as well
1: And actually myself, because what happened when I had that car, so this is, sometimes they can, they can pop up again, uh, when you've had a trauma. So when I had my car accident, my primitive reflex, uh, my moral reflex kicked in. So as an adult, how you see it, is that you're not very flexible. And you are constantly because you're in fight and flight, you need to know where everything is. You don't delegate because if you delegate to somebody, you don't know what they've done. You want to know exactly where everything is. So when you have a child, and then when I had a child, it was like double uh, fight and flight, double. I was scanning for myself all the time and scanning for him. So I remember the first time he slept through the night, I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, is he all right? Is is he breathing? You know, you're in this kind of tense. Yeah. uh, and, And then the child feels it as well because you're constantly watching out for them because you're watching out for yourself and i was 37 when that reflex was integrated because they can you can do specific exercises and you can use kinesiology to integrate it and i was like a different person because i used to think why are all these moms so calm and relaxed and why the baby's so calmed and relaxed but because i was hyper my baby was hyper so he was the one that became hyper and had the issues
0: yeah and what, what, what tangible, other than just feeling relaxed, what, what differences did you feel when that reflex was integrated?
1: Well, first of all, I could delegate. I didn't need to know where everything was yeah. at all times. I could, I could, I could relax in, times in terms of I could sit down because I could be up in the morning and I just keep going all day, all day, all day, all day. Uh, my sleep becomes better because I wasn't like sleeping, you know, if, if it's like a, you're in a war-torn zone, so you're like listening with one ear, you know. Um, I just became a more relaxed person, you know, uh, and, and that changed everything because it changed, it, it helped. So my second, my two, other, uh, uh, I had two more sons after that, but were not like him because I was a relaxed parent, um, yeah. more yeah. relaxed with them, yeah.
0: So the the power's in the parent.
1: Yeah. Look after (laughs) yourself, sort yourself out.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Or you pass it on. (laughs) Brilliant. And uh, just even just going back to that, um, to your your accent, if you don't mind, just for a moment. um, Correct me if I'm wrong. You you to spend a a time in traction. Was that correct?
1: Yes. Um, So... It, I mean, I have to say that it was one of the best things that happened to me,
0: really. Why is um, the still
1: <laughs> Because it changed everything about me and where the trajectory I was going,
0: yeah.
1: what I, where I was going, what I was planning to do. It shifted everything because actually I had a near-death experience. So I came in with another perspective. That was one thing. And that perspective, when I came through, I'd broken my neck and my back. And somehow I knew I I should not have an operation. And so even though they wanted to operate, I I refused. I I, I mean, I was only 21. And imagine saying to the doctors, no, I'm not having an operation. So what they did was they put skull traction in, which is like two metal bars there, put weights at the end of it and lay me down for three months. And so for three months, I was just staring at the ceiling because there was no TV up there. Uh, And I was able to read through a glass shelf that put book upside down on. And that's all I did for three months. And that really taught me how to be present. Because if I had known, I didn't know how long I was going to be like that. But if I had known I would have to be like that for three months, I would have gone absolutely crazy. But what I did was each day, I would wake up in the morning, and my aim was to get back to sleep in the night. So was just to eat, to read, and to be, do you know what I mean? Just be present with each day. And that's where I really learned my, my ability to be completely present. Uh, it changed me as a person, obviously. And yeah, so when I, when I came out of it, uh, I was, in some ways, I was, I was more a compassionate person as well. You to know, the whole—I I was completely changed.
0: Yeah, to yourself or to others or both? Or
1: um, to myself, to others. That—that uh, that, the accident was interesting because I did, you know, it wasn't pure sailing. I mean, I was left with a lot of pain. After three months of uh, uh, traction, I was put in a, a kind of a thing here, all, all right down to my waist for about six months and had a neck collar. Um, and I, then I had a pain for about 10 years, lots of pain. And I came across kinesiology. And in that uh, session, the kinesiologist said to me, I need to forgive my mother-in-law who was in the car accident with me and I said, well, why would I need to do that? She said, the lack of forgiveness is the pain in your body. And I thought, this, this is mad. But anyway, finally, I was able to forgive her. And when I sat up after about 45 minutes, oh my God, I would say about 70% of the pain left because it, it was lodged into my body. And that taught me the, the power of forgiveness.
0: And what is your understanding of, or what is forgiveness? What's your understanding of it? It's my good.
1: understanding of it, from that, if you remember, I was pain. I was in pain. Yeah. Is that when you don't forgive another? It's not. It's it's not them because my my thing was I wanted to be right. My my mother-in-law had been not too brilliant with me in her ignorance because and it wasn't her fault Mm. because the doctors had said i there was nothing wrong with me i wasn't very good at sorting out bearing pain and i had walked around for seven days after the accident when i came back to england they found out i had a broken back and neck so she just thought i was just all right but i wanted to be right because i thought this this person had treated me badly and her treatment was not good so, for me, the when I when I cu- when I forgave her, that I was in pain. She was no she was not in pain. I was the one in pain. So, with lack of forgiveness, it's I I have found for myself, and for others actually, that if you're the person in pain, the other person might have forgotten the incident completely.
0: Yeah, and how did you do it?
1: <laughs> um, do you know the hardest thing about forgiveness?
0: is choosing to do it.
1: The actual forgiveness is not hard.
0: Yeah, it's that. But
1: choosing to do it. Choosing. And the other thing is not wanting to be right.
0: Uh, what, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean, I wanted to be right, that I was judging her. You know, I wanted... You, I thought she had done something that was not good. Yeah. So I wanted to be right about that. I wanted to keep yeah. the evidence.
0: Yes, It was
1: like I was keeping the evidence and judgment. And I was judging her as well.
0: And that stored as pain in your body. Yeah. So it's not really about the other person.
1: It's never about the other person. Yeah. Because if that you... if you think about it, she did. She did what she did. Because she thought I had no, 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 nothing wrong with me,
0: yeah.
1: And she, she made me do loads of stuff for her. Like, I mean, like, I used to have to keep making coffee for her. And coffee, I was in Algeria, you see, and yeah. you had to go and light up this little stove and scoop down. And it wasn't like pressing a button. It was, it was hard. It was painful for me. So I thought, why was she? She should have been giving me the coffee, but I was in pain. But she didn't know I was in pain because the doctor said, oh, there's nothing wrong with her. Oh so you she see might. sometimes a person is from their perspective what they're doing is okay for them
0: yeah that's a it's a it's a deep topic anyway forgiveness it's a whole it's a whole topic it's a whole topic yeah <laughs> but even just to touch on that again like okay you made that decision let's say in this instance to to forgive was that done from is that just you saying okay I forgive you because a lot of people say okay I forgive you but you can see uh, in the life or you can see in the body that well maybe that's not the case like is it done in the head or the heart or from your experience I know everybody might have their own ways of doing it yeah
1: from my experience it's I always say uh, I always say it's with the forgiveness of God like so the forgiveness of the heart yeah the forgiveness with love uh if there's a forgiveness of the head a lot of time people think they're forgiven but if there's a charge to it if there's an emotion that arises you haven't completely forgiven and i think part of that forgiveness of the heart is saying to the self i am not god to judge another mm.
0: you
1: know It's not my place to judge another. Everybody does whatever they do out of their own experience and perception and all of that. Um, And sometimes we don't want to forgive because it's evidence, evidence that somebody's done something to us that's not right. And um, there was a, I had a, a, a lady once that was finding it really, really hard to forgive. And what was happening with her I mean, she, 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 it was, you know, it was a big topic. It was abuse of, of sort, but what, what, what was happening with her was she was, all her joints were hurting and we, uh, I, I, I work with a, a circle called Harmonizing Circle. And in circle, we came to the conclusion or she came to the conclusion that the lack of forgiveness was evidence and the evidence was sitting in her joint. and so when she was able to forgive the joint, the joint paint left her and I said why don't you put the evidence on a piece of paper so when she transferred that evidence to pieces it's always evidence we want to keep evidence against somebody else somebody did this to me somebody did that to me somebody did it, but, but the problem is, like this woman, like myself, the evidence sits in your body and is paying to yourself. So that's, for, that's you know, the, the difference. And the other thing is, it's always easier to forgive another than to forgive the self. So, and I had an experience where I had to go through that self-forgiveness. Which, which took me, a, I was easy, it was easier to forgive uh, others. And the self-forgiveness was to do with, I thought I'd caused the death of my brother because I'd lent him a car, it wasn't insured uh, 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 and all of this kind of thing. And, and it, after about eight years, it just sat on me one day that it was like an epiphany that who am I, who was I to be in charge of anybody's life? Who who did I think I was that I could have saved him that day? The the arrogance of trying to play God. And that allowed me to forgive myself. I thought that was his destiny. That was written. That was his soul journey or whatever. Who was I to think that I could have changed that?
0: So you're Um, not in that person or you're giving that person the responsibility for their own actions to a degree yeah and obviously taking responsibility for your own yeah Uh, yeah so does from your perspective does um because forgiveness can be quite a i think a very controversial topic for some people particularly let's say in case of abuse and things like that are are you saying that it's your OK, you're forgiving that person, you're forgiving yourself, but are you condoning that action or is it more the your perception or the your your emotional, your emotional, your emotional residue around that?
1: You're freeing yourself. You, you're letting go of the charge. You're not saying yeah. that that what that yeah. person did was right.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, an action is an action. Yeah. What that person did was not right. But you're letting off the charge. You're letting off the angst. You let you freeing yourself because maybe that person is not even thinking about it. This, this lady that I was talking about, it was her, the pain she was getting was because her, the, her partner had abused her daughter. And what was interesting with this scenario was the daughter had completely forgiven and was not holding all that pain, agony in her own body. obviously the mother was because there's a part of me thinking I could have perhaps I I could have I don't know I missed something or something so she was holding it as evidence so that was very interesting that the person who had had the actual situation was able to and she was a young girl but my god she was completely free of that of the ball and chain of that thing that was happening it was just amazing to see that uh, she freed herself it's all forgiveness is always about freeing yourself
0: yeah yeah so talk all day about it <laughs> that's <laughs> worth
1: doing isn't it freeing yourself
0: absolutely from ourselves yeah and and that if that forms like uh, a substantial part of the training that you you do with practitioners that like you you have a school or college you train
1: yeah so when i when i ended up doing that research yeah. and found that actually you know sorting out auditory processing and uh, uh sorting out primitive reflexes really helps children to learn yeah. i thought i can't stay in teaching because now i know a truth and so i went on to run a center called the child center and helped loads of children individually, but then I, I there were too many children, and and there were loads of children that were h- helped, and so I ended up um, uh, putting down a method called the child center method, which is using all the different techniques I'd learned, uh, and I train I train um, people to use those techniques and that method, but part of that is this. Um, the process of forgiveness as well because it's all about self-development because what we're trying to do is attune these children to their full potential but to do that in the child center method we have to the, the, the practitioner has to attune themselves to their full uh, potential and that's by developing part of that is for, not forgiveness but it's actually a, a technique called ho'oponopono you know transmuting stuff and so, yeah, it's a whole method and a whole way of being so that if you attune to your own full potential, then you're able to help others attune to, to, to their full potential.
0: Yeah, you're opening that space. Yeah. So you're walking your talk, so to speak.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Being it, you know, you're shining the light on your, you go and switch a light on, that light is for you, but it shines on the other as well. So, um, you know, being the truth of what you're trying to to do, really.
0: Yeah. And have you noticed that from your own perspective, like when you're doing work, it's, let's just say, when you walk or talk, you know, of course you have to do the work and all that, but it, it flows a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. To find yourself.
1: And it's also quicker. It is just like if you put the light on for yourself and another person walks in, the light is on for them as well. So the resonance of what I, the frequency of what I carry or the resonance of what I carry helps another because the resonance always lifts up to the highest, highest frequency. It's not the other way around. So mm-hmm. it's just, if you are being that resonance and that frequency, people feel that and sense that and you can mm-hmm. lift that up. And that's why the circle work, the whole bono-harmonizing circle works like that. You work in a group and, and, and the, 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 the lowest resonance is lifted up. Through the highest frequency
0: so i think in psychological speak it's uh you know there's the mirror neurons where you're okay there neurons like so you're you're reflecting back and that's uh, what let's say if you're happy if you're the person who is who's happy and the most dominant in, the, in that environment that's reflecting that back to let's say the person in front of them and then they're more likely to come on board so to speak yeah or or absorb that but when you're as you say when you're when you're in that state or uh, that emotional or mental state you know you can bring that person uh, to that place more readily doesn't mean obviously it always happens
1: yeah
0: as you said it's just bringing up that that frequency or
1: yeah and that i had to practice that with my second son um because he he had uh has has bipolar, and he sometimes he could sink into this really dark space. And, uh, I, and, his, and his dad would kind of jump into the dark space with him. So it was like being a companion. But the problem with his dad was that he would then feel all the pain in his own body. So he started getting depressed. And I remember one time saying to his dad, look, look, it's like he's in a deep, dark well, and if you jump in with him, you're keeping him company in that deep, dark well. But I'm up here and I'm saying, look, come here, come here. This is where you need to be. I said, if you come and stand with me, he will, he will want to come there. And the interesting thing was that my son said to me, everyone, this was previously said, you know, that hook that you're holding me up with, you know, you're not strong enough to hold me up. He said, "Let go of that because you're not strong enough." And I, and that's what made me jump out of that dark place and stand at the top and say, "Here I am, here I am." So it's like that. It's like the light. The light is always stronger than dark. I really do believe that. And the dark is an absence of light. So yeah. you know, if you you know, people sort of say, "Be the light, be the light," and it seems a cliche, but actually, that, that's what I try and do. So like you know the, the moth comes to the light so yeah. the pulling people up just by being being that so light or truth or
0: yeah giving or
1: uh, more compassionate love
0: and uh the pano is part of the practice you used to, to yeah, do that for that's, yourself yeah would you do that for yourself first and foremost
1: Yeah, because, you know, the Huna tradition of Ho'oponopono was that if there was angst anywhere, that they would sit in a circle and they would all forgive each other, accept forgiveness, give forgiveness, they'd be, you know, the community would work together like that. So nobody was busy judging. Part of the forgiveness is is stepping back from constant judgment, 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 judgment. So um, yeah, it's all part of it, and it's all that's all part of the child center method as well. In that you're trying to just raise your own frequency, your own resonance, so that as a therapist, you've got to walk your talk. So when you do the when you're working with the method, it's not just like do this, do this, do this. You have to be it. Yeah,
0: that's a fundamental. That's a yeah fundamental principle and or philosophy.
1: Absolutely, it's a big journey.
0: Yeah, and um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, and how long is that journey? Can anyone do it?
1: Anybody can <laughs> do it because we're all we are all able to do it. Uh, how long is that journey? Is well, how long well, is a piece of string?
0: Well, what I really meant is like, how long is that if they were to do it with you? Like,
1: all right, if they wanted to do it, it's it, it's about an eighteen month course. Yeah. But um, and some people, because uh, it's not just about me teaching you how to use these different methods. Yeah. The self development has to come through it as well, because it's like attuning to your full potential, um, and that was really important to me as a person because um, so I, I I I have dyslexia now. Dyslexia is not what I'm sorry, but it's not what the there's different different ways of having dyslexia so um, so when I was at school I I did okay then when I got to my o-levels I did okay I just did okay okay and I used to think I'm smarter than this and it was when I went to PE college in fact I just scraped through to PE college and I was put in the certificate group. The certificate group was the dunce group. You know, the I wasn't even allowed to do a degree. I don't
0: know. Is that politically correct anymore?
1: <laughs> no, I know. That's really bad. That's, why, that's how I found myself. Okay. I, I used to feel I was like, I'm clever, but why can't I, you know? Yeah, that's not clear. But anyway, um, it was the C group. <laughs> it was a certificate group. It was a C group. Um, anyway. After a year of being at PE college and I was doing all this movement, 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 after that one year, at the, at the end of the year, I did so well. They said, We're moving you to the D group, the degree group. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually higher. Yeah. So that was my first encounter with how you develop your physical literacy and your brain kicks in.
0: So the only thing Do you, you know know did, diff- sorry, sorry. Denver, the only thing you did definitely there was you are moving more. I, I mean, was
1: doing all of the different sports, swimming, dance, national dance. I was developing my physical literacy. Yeah. And do you know what? I, I had gone in with this as a, as a C, you know, like the lower achiever. And I left as one of the top achievers. And in fact, uh, I, 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 I nearly got first class degree. And the only reason I, I, I let, missed out by 1% and the only reason I didn't get my my degree as i should have as a first class degree was my brother just died in a car accident so i was not able to really yeah. revise and stuff but i still did well enough to just miss out from first class so imagine my journey for four years and all that was was developing my physical literacy so that happened to me personally yes so my former and and uh, this lack of lack of physical literacy can also show up as a dyslexia because if you have poor balance that can affect the way the head sits on the body and the way the eyes work and so you don't read as well etc anyway my form of dyslexia is a different way where I'm very right-brained and I, I don't like little details and so schools are very detailed and so that was why it was hard for me to learn but when I got to age 46 I really wanted to challenge myself and I it went, and so this part, part of this research, the PhD, was to achieve my full potential. And I remember my, my ex-husband saying to me, well, you're doing all this research. Why don't you, um, you know, do something concrete like a, a PhD? And I said, oh, oh, uh, I don't think I can do it. And I remember him saying to me, so you are trying to get children to achieve their full potential." But you're not ready to achieve your full potential. and I thought, right, I'll
0: show you. <laughs> so I don't least,
1: it. Yeah, so it's you know any, so so I am a labeled a dyslexic, but look at what I was able to achieve. And anybody can achieve it. It's just motivation I was highly motivated because of my son, but motivation and fo- uh, focus. Um, so and a and willingness to let go of programs.
0: What do you mean I had
1: to that? let go of the program of I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, because I, I'm not good enough to do a PhD. I had to mm-hmm. let go of that program.
0: And do you, do you feel that, or do you think that um, because of dyslexia and all, and all the rest of that, it affected your, your thinking, your self-esteem, what you would or would not do in life? Well, my dyslexia is one of my biggest gifts, because I can see the
1: big picture. Okay, I can't see all the little details, but I can see the big picture. So that is what enabled me to develop a method to look at, oh, put this together, put this together, put this together. And then I've got this great, big, fabulous method using science and energy work and movement. Yeah. And okay, in my manuals, you might find a couple of spelling mistakes and stuff like that. But my brain doesn't like to focus on the little yeah. uh, stuff. It likes the big picture. So actually, my dis- I had to, but you're right, I had to, I had to embrace it and yeah. say, does it really matter if I'm not that brilliant at spelling? And that I write sometimes as if another person can read my mind
0: yeah
1: <laughs> does it really matter yeah. and so from from so my own journey um, I did actually go and lecture for three years to teachers because of uh, to look at diversity and, and to look at children and look at their strengths and focus on their strengths yeah. rather than so dyslexia is you're a very right brain person so schools are very left-brained and I saw that with my three boys because I had two, the eldest and the, the second one were very right-brained. So a right-brained person is like, they need to know that you're building a house. But schools would start by brick, by brick, by brick, brick, brick. And then they'd say, oh, that's a house. Well, if you told me if it was a house, then my, I could have focused on it better.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas my youngest son was left-brained. So it doesn't matter he could sit and look brick 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 brick. oh that's built into a house and so they classified him as a high achiever but he wasn't a high achiever he just could function in the way schools teach
0: yeah and the other
1: two were uh, as bright as him
0: yeah so it's just everyone basically everyone learns differently and these things like dyslexia and all the rest it's a I think as Richard Bander says, you know, learning differences, we learn... Yes, yeah,
1: reordered, they're not disordered, they're reordered, yeah. and I remember when I was lecturing uh, about focusing on children's achievements rather than what they can't do, uh, and I was, uh, it was two teachers, and I was I was talking, and suddenly the whole lecture was about focus on what children can do, and this, this young lady uh, said, oh, you got a spelling mistake there. <laughs> but, and I just stood there for ages and I said, that's because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> I think the whole group got the point of it. Um, so, yeah, if you, if, you, if you explain to a child with dyslexia how they work and how they function, of course, they do need to read. But if you sort out physical literacy, you sort out balance, you sort out their primitive reflexes, I, as I said, I never had problem uh, teaching children to read. Bring me a child who can't read and I can sort them out. (laughs) By movement, by not doing more reading, you don't do more of what you can't do. You fix the underlying issue, which is physical literacy. Physical literacy impacts literacy. Yeah. It works. It works. It worked on my me. My, you remember me from the C group <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the D group degree. Yeah, know, part, it part. happened to me.
0: Yeah, and you have another thing as well as the the, the child center method training of uh, the simple simple physical literacy. Yeah, that's yeah, that the simple move, physical, physical literacy program.
1: Yeah. So if you Just, don't want to yeah. uh, train as a child center method. Uh, practitioner, which is using science and energy medicine and movement, you could. The, I have simple physical literacy, which is for parents, for teachers, for any adults working with children. Which is just basically, you are working with affecting their physical literacy, and it's a program that I used for the research. Uh, it's validated by research, and you can actually become a simple uh, uh, physical literacy practitioner, pract- coach. so you can go and work with groups of children or individual children or going to schools and work with children
0: or use uh, it on yourself sorry or use it on yourself
1: oh use it oh when i was doing my uh, phd i had to keep doing using it on myself Mm. because there's certain movements that can really help you to focus yeah uh one one of them is called simple brain yoga and it, it. i used to find when i was writing that for Two hours, I could really focus well. So I used it on myself as well. Yeah,
0: and even for parents, like for themselves, it does help resolve. It can resolve a lot of a lot of emotional,
1: yeah,
0: issues and on yeah,
1: that. yeah. So you can address like the moral reflex, and yeah. the, the problem with the moral reflex is it's the one that because you're in the fight and flight, any little extra drop of water in your bucket can really, you know, throw you over the edge. So, by just doing those simple exercises, you can integrate that reflex and you're not in that fight and you get out of fight and flight.
0: Yeah. yeah. But like anything, it takes a bit, of, a bit of practice, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. But it's fun, you know, it's a fun way of doing it. And I just yeah. find uh, with children who suddenly can uh, navigate their own body, can use it in the way they want, they get so much joy in it. There's a lot of joy in it. Because the ability to control your own body gives you self confidence and it gives you joy.
0: Yeah, and they're open to trying new things and get not not as you said from the start wanting to get things right, but opening to you know just being curious again.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the difference between physical literacy and physical education, because you're in physical literacy, you're only battling against yourself, so to speak. So it's fine, but you know sometimes in PE you're put into teams and then I, I once had a young girl who was having an issue at school and it was because of hockey and right. she said I love playing hockey but why do we have to uh, fight, battle against each other she hated the the fighting the lack of cooperation it was an yeah. interesting thing that I had to work with
0: <laughs> she just wanted to enjoy the hockey field not yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because the the problem with physical education is the good children become better yeah whereas physical literacy you 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 start them at their level and keep improving at their own level at their own pace so the simple physical literacy literally is simple movements that children would naturally do like spinning and rolling and uh, jumping and climbing and stuff like that that is a natural it's not like you're trying to get an implement and try and hit a ball with it you know because yeah. if you can't if you can't if you can't control your arm then you put a tennis racket in it and then you're trying to hit the ball with you know it's
0: yeah difficult. Fight, fighting against against yeah. your, fighting against your body absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah so it's all it can all be simple and it can all be very uh, a lot of fun
1: yeah and simply sensory integration movement program for learning enhancement and can I just say one thing the problem is we don't let children move enough nowadays and they don't move enough because they're just in front of a screen or um, you know they're not out they don't play outside like they used to we're just worried about I don't know somebody you know their safety all the time Uh, just those kind of it's 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 we kind of hinder our children now We just don't give them enough space to move around in. And that's all they need. They need lots of space to move around as a child, as a young child, lots of playground time, you know, an hour a day, at least in the playground can help integrate these reflexes. And then if they're not integrated, when they go to school, plenty of PE, like what I I was doing with my children helps integrate the reflexes. But I mean, most schools do PE one time a, a week now it's because the government are trying to say oh they can't read so we'll give them more of reading they can't do this we'll give them more of that but obviously they can't do it they can't do it do something different yeah what's the underlying cause
0: well if ask a different question would we'll be a start yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> if it ain't working stop doing the same thing you'll get the same result
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like common sense but unfortunately <laughs> It's not, but that's where you, the likes of it, your work comes in.
1: The likes of?
0: Your work comes yeah.
1: in. Yeah, yeah. because simple physical literacy is just childhood activities that we all used to, when I was young, we all yes. used to do them.
0: Just organise ones. <laughs>
1: well, well yes, yeah, just organise. It's, it's, it's a shame, isn't it, that we're having to organise play. It's organized play. And in yeah. fact, I've developed um, a program now for three to five-year-olds called Simple Stars so that they don't, if they've got reflex issues, and this, is, this isn't, this is you can't make them do specific movements, but you give them the environment to yes. do the specific movement. So you're yes. them, encouraging them. So when you take them in a playground, for instance, you're giving them the environment to integrate their reflexes to develop their physical literacy. Because every time you're, they're on a swing or they're going round and round on a merry-go-round or whatever, except they've stopped the merry-go-rounds because it's too dangerous, right. what they're actually doing or climbing is developing their balance. Yes. So when they develop their balance, they're affecting the way their eyes work and they're affecting the way that a child can read. Uh, They found that when astronauts go up in space, that they lose their sense of balance and they get something called space dyslexia. So they can't read as well. So come back, sort out their balance, and there you go. And there's a, a guy actually who created centers just by sorting out children's balance it was like giving them and then remediation of course you don't need to teach them how to read but now they're the equipment to read yeah. just by sorting out their balance he was impacting the way they um were reading
0: it's amazing isn't it
1: yeah it's it's so simple
0: <laughs> <laughs> boom boom
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely it's,
0: it's simple when you know how
1: it's simple, but you know how. Yeah. It's like the forgiveness. It's simple. You just got to choose to do it. Exactly. It honest. It's honestly all to do with choice. And choice is the only thing we really have in
0: life. Well, we got to know we have that. that we we got to know that choice is available.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, even when we, ch- we maybe choose to think a thought, do you know there's a split second of choice before we start thinking that thought where we can actually let the thought go? But once we start thinking it, we can't let it go. So there is a split second, that's what meditation is about, split second, where a thought comes in and you choose not to think it. Do you know you can choose not to think a thought?
0: A lot of people don't know that. Try it. How do you choose not to think a thought? How do you choose not to think a thought?
1: You know, I teach meditation to children. Yeah. And this is what I tell them. And they're so brilliant at it. So i say, when the thought comes in, because thoughts float in all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: You can't stop thoughts. We're supposed to have thoughts. So I just say to them, when the thought comes in, put in a little bubble and burst it. And my God, these six, seven-year-olds are so good at doing that. It's if you can find that just little gap, yeah. it's that first gap. And slowly, you can start extending the gap. But there is a moment of choice where you choose to think it. If you don't choose quick enough, it's in. And then you've got to think it. <laughs> it's something everybody should try. Next time a thought comes in, don't think, ah, the thought's coming in. I've got no choice. Yeah. you've got choice, choose not to think it.
0: <laughs> Challenge of the week
1: challenge of the week that's it yeah see if if it see if in seven days there's one thought that comes in and you choose not to think it and you didn't think it
0: and that's (laughs) how you build up that mental that mental muscle like and and there are there are there are other ways other other than the bubble but like it's it's finding out what works isn't it yeah
1: bubble or disperse it like a cloud yeah what do you say to yourself i'm not choosing i'm I'm, i've chosen not to think it
0: Is that you? But you've developed quite a. um, Let me see. Do you think that requires, or because you've? Sorry, my my thoughts are all (laughs) jumbled here. (laughs) Is that because, like, could you? People might say, like, well, that's because you've got great mental strength.
1: No, because I can teach six, seven-year-olds how to do that.
0: So it's got it's not you're not doing it from you know being really forceful with it. It's
1: no, yeah, no, honestly. Oh. In fact, in fact, um I remember I was at a wedding and a brain surgeon <clears throat> spoke to me about meditation and he said, I've tried it, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I sat with him in this big foyer and, and he managed to do it, managed to do it for a short time, and he said, Wow was the first time it you know i i i would get any i'd love to get some new things they can't do that and i love working with them say yeah okay let's see yeah (laughs) part of that is also what we talked about earlier you know because i hold that frequency that really helps as well but it's it choice is the biggest thing that we have in this world i mean when i had my near-death experience i had choice to go Really, what,
0: what What made what do you what made you choose to to stay so to speak or even what to, made
1: which, me choose uh, to stay was interesting because yeah. an eight year old girl asked me that one time what me made me choose to stay was I'm sorry but there was no big tunnel or light or anything there was just a sense that I yeah. could go or stay was my brother had just died uh, eight months earlier and I thought this is too much for my parents and the next thing I'm back in my body because i could see my body and they'd already said their prayer i was and i was boom back in and awake and um so i made the choice and
0: in in, an unconscious state so to speak
1: actually we're in an unconscious state now we're (laughs) in a conscious
0: state but then moving into like when okay you're back into your body and then those that extended period of time like did it just go from okay I'm going to make the most of this or did you go through like did you get pissed off did you get frustrated like what was that that tipping point that you said okay I'm, I'm just
1: to... glad I was alive
0: again <laughs> fair enough is that simple <laughs> no, I
1: tell you do you know what it was <laughs> actually it wasn't that because I the you know what the little girl who said who asked me that question she said but why did you come back? It's nicer on the other side.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: she knew. Anyway, um, no, I'll tell you what it was my tipping point. Uh, my mother was disabled at the age of 30. She couldn't move her arms or, or legs and use them. Move them, yes, yeah, she could, but she couldn't use them. And so when I had this massive car accident and uh, all my body, I could move everything. I was delighted and I was going to make the most of it and I make the most of it and I when I run I am so grateful that my body can run or play tennis or get out of bed or do yoga I'm so grateful I was so grateful that all of my body parts could be used that's what that was a tipping point I was just grateful.
0: Brilliant. So we don't need to have a car accident to be grateful, do we? Nope. That our body can move.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, just very recently, uh, that, that my, my, m- the, my husband who was, my ex-husband who was in the car with me at that point, and he was actually not hurt at all. He had to, he was on a, on a, a ventilator. And I thought to myself, my God, I was grateful because I could use my body. But actually, we should just be grateful that we can breathe as well.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, you know, take a breath. He was six months, a machine was breathing for him before he passed away. But, you know, like if you wake up in the morning and you're breathing, isn't that something to be grateful for? And that you can breathe. I Six months of, wow, this guy can't breathe. Hmm. is such a thing to be grateful for especially with all of this you know what's going on recently in the world yeah, yeah. just just being healthy is something to be grateful for
0: absolutely and it's health, all the cliches are true you know our health is our wealth
1: absolutely we've really found that out haven't we
0: yeah yeah just and um, that uh, uh, well my sense is that gratitude you speak of like it's not again it's not intellectual it's not go on and say i am grateful and but it's 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 something you it's more than just in your head you're you're feeling it in your body
1: yeah absolutely and didn't we learn in this um in this period that it's all about choosing ourselves that really matters so we had to choose to keep ourselves safe (laughs) and that was helping everybody else to keep safe wasn't that one of the biggest learnings that actually choosing others going to visit them or whatever was not the right choice the choice was to keep yourself safe everybody keeping themselves safe helped everybody else which was all choice wasn't it i guess so <laughs> that's what they were saying be <laughs> safe keep yourself <laughs> safe
0: <laughs> this is it but ultimately it's our as you said you know we can we don't need a the external thing like that to happen we can do this anytime
1: yeah yeah, yeah just just gratitude for being alive
0: yeah. all very all very simple to do isn't it yeah it's just it given, is. given that time or just even a few moments of reflection isn't it it doesn't have to be that. sometimes i think people you know can complicate and think it has to be this big magnificent thing no. just like Enjoy the simple pleasures, or, or giving gratitude, whether it's silently or, or to another person. That doesn't really matter. It's it's yeah. more the feeling that the feeling that we feel in the body.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm very grateful to have uh, had this conversation with you, Doctor Dr. Alwa. Doctor <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm grateful that you chose
1: me to have conversation
0: <laughs> with it you it was my choice <laughs> and it was your uh, choice to say yes or no yeah well th- thank you for this uh, fascinating discussion um we covered a lot we'll cover quite a lot there's a lot more <laughs> yeah, not, but, uh, i'll uh, i'll put the links of all to, to your website just the childcenteredmethod.com and uh
1: simplephysicalliteracy.com <laughs> and And attuning to full potential which is my kinesiology that i've developed
0: so we'll put all that down and (laughs) anyone who's interested in potentially uh training there's upcoming courses like in in ireland next year march next year isn't
1: it yeah there's child's little method i i start a new cycle and that's march the 5th and the 6th that starts a new cycle simple physical literacies next week so that's okay (laughs) no it's not next week it's this saturday (laughs) but then no i they roll around and attuning to full potential which is a kinesiology that will that's that's rolls around all year round yeah Yeah. it's all via zoom nowadays so it's anybody can come from anywhere
0: that my, my my global audience can appreciate your work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if they're on the right time zone, they sometimes do are like when it's 4 a.m. in the morning, they have to get up. <laughs> oh,
0: well, when, when it's important enough, when you want to do it, time. Yeah, time is absolutely. absolutely. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks, Aluena, for for coming on. And we'll, we never know, we might get you back on again in the future. Oh, thank um, you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.